apparently there's a uh, apparently there's a sauce shortage. Apparently, you go to Chick Fil A and there's just no sauce because uh, Joe Biden's a socialist. A sauce shortage. That's good. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore, and we're so excited to be here today. Scott Melson is with me, as always. Hello, Scott. What's up, dude? How are you, sir? I'm struggling today, man. I'm on the struggle bus. You know why? Because I went to uh, I went to Chick Fil A every day this week, and you know what? There's, there's no sauce. What, what are you gonna do? Just you know, no this, sauce. There's just this. Uh, apparently, uh, the socialist economics of uh, Comrade Biden have uh, have propelled us into uh, the the first crisis of the summer of the summer of 2021, which is a national shortage of Chick Fil A sauce. I mean. I don't know this firsthand. This is just what the governor told me this week. So maybe maybe I'm wrong and everything's fine. Did you actually get that fundraising email? Uh, I had it forwarded to me. Okay. I, it was on Twitter as well. I, I didn't get that one, but I did get uh, one from GOP chairman John Bennett that was equally ridiculous. I don't even remember what it was now, but it's. Uh, I think we can officially say that campaign 2022 has been kicked off. Which is depressing because I don't feel like I've recovered from campaign 2020. Right, it just ended. Well, Scott, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. I think, and it's important for listeners to know that we are recording in person for the first time in over a year. It is awesome. It's uh, it's like old times, except now instead of upper room studios, we're in uh, dining room studios. Dining room studios. <laughs> yeah. The the kitchen, no e, just k i t c h n. There we go. Isn't that a Kitch- that's kitchen a studios. like a recipe website? Oh, probably. I feel like I read recipes on there. Uh, and listeners, of course, Bailey is not here today. She um, had another obligation, so she's not with us. But we look forward to maybe doing this in-person thing more often. Absolutely. You know, now that we've got this set up, I think we could even take this show on the road and we can we can rotate, do some uh, on-location recordings as we've done in years past. Uh, man, the, uh, the in-person shows are some of the best. They are. Well, we've got that PA system that's in my storage unit <laughs> that we've used one time um, for that live show at New State Burgers. Yeah, it was a great time. That was a good time. Man, that was like, it's like another lifetime. You know, yesterday I was talking to someone about a meeting that I had on Tuesday. It was a four-hour meeting on Tuesday. And by Thursday, exactly 48 hours later, I was like, what was that last week? And I was like, oh, no, that was day before yesterday. And it was four hours long. It's weird that it feels so far away. It took half my day. It's just, it's yeah, man. It's, it's crazy. You know, I, I mean, I have those experiences from time to time. Just you know, like, like was that this week? Was that last week? But it really does. I mean, I feel like there's like now there's like BC and AC. There's like before Corona, after Corona, right? Yeah, like, yeah. you know, and I, I mean, the the new state show was uh, that was the last. I think that was the last like live event thing that we did before COVID hit, right? Because that would have been in the fall of twenty, the fall of twenty nineteen. I think so. Yeah, like October. That sounds about right. Yeah, it was before session started. It was before. It was before winter. It was still nice out. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that sounds about right. That was a good time. We should do more live shows. Um, hopefully, maybe this summer as uh, things begin to safely reopen lord willing and the creek don't rise <laughs> that's right <laughs> <laughs> well uh scott it's almost the end of session 
we have a budget deal. Many of the budget bills have passed. Uh, I, think, I think all of them, right? They've all passed and been well, sent to I, Governor Stitt for his signature? We think so, but <laughs> if there's been one thing this session we've learned is that nothing is ever over. So let's talk about, <laughs> on that note, let's talk about House Bill 1236, oh. which was also passed this week and sent to the governor, even though we all thought it was a, a, a bill of of a year gone by, right? That this was the bill that would uh, theoretically allow, I, I say allow in air quotes, allow <laughs> uh, the legislature to deem federal acts and executive orders and laws to be unconstitutional. So which, so I don't actually know this, which version of this is this, right? Because there, there was initially the version that uh, Speaker McCall uh, ran, which said that the legislature or the attorney general, right, could declare uh, like presidential executive orders unconstitutional and like could declare federal laws unconstitutional. And then Senator Treat was like, no, the Constitution says you can't do that. So what we're going to do instead is we're going to tell the attorney general that he should be constantly looking and trying to make a determination about whether things are unconstitutional. And if they are, then he should like, like bring that up for litigation. And then we're going to give him $10 million with which to fund those efforts. And then, so that didn't go anywhere. So which ver like 1236 is which version of those? Yeah. So it, um, is somewhere kind of in between those, right? So I'm looking at it now on the legislature's website and they had added some language that says um, to monitor and evaluate any action by the federal government, including but not limited to executive orders by the president. Um, if such actions are in violation of, oh, any executive order by the president, rules or regulations promulgated by any agency, the federal government, or any acts of Congress to determine if such actions are in violation of the 10th amendment of the constitution. And so I, I think this section basically says that it's, it's honestly like what we thought passed earlier. It's giving, it says that the AG, you know, should do it. Um, or that the legislature may review any of those things and make a recommendation to the attorney general that his office should investigate it. And should he decline that, it would be up to the legislature who may, by a majority vote, initiate an action to seek an exemption from the application of the action or seek to have the action declared unconstitutional by the court. So basically, um, they would refer to the AG. If the AG declines, then the legislature could take it to court on their own without the, the AG. Now, I don't know, though, because normally the AG or the, his office, including the Solicitor General, um, I think would represent the state in the courts. But if the legislature goes around the AG because he won't, are they able to, like, can they hire outside counsel? I mean, I think they'd have to. I think they'd have to appropriate funds to hire outside counsel to represent them unless one of the half dozen lawyers that serves in the legislature wants to do it uh, pro bono. Um, well, and probably half of those are Democrats, and they at this time would not, right? But <laughs> you know, this is interesting, though. So this is one. I mean, this is, you know, I guess my question is, they do this anyway. 
So, like, why do you need a bill that says to do this, right? State attorneys general sue the feds all the time. When a, when a Democrat is in the White House, Republican AGs sue mm-hmm. uh, constantly. And when a Republican is in the White House, Democratic AGs sue constantly. So, it's not clear to me why you need a, why you need a bill to do this, number one. Number two, I think it does sound like it's better because this is not just saying the legislature gets to say that things are unconstitutional, which, again... My, my eternal disclaimer, not a lawyer, but my understanding is that that's not how it works. Um, but this is actually interesting because there's the inclusion of this section there that says rules and regulations. Right. And so one, one thing that has been, I think it's accurate to say, a goal of the small c um, conservative legal movement for a very long time is to severely curtail what has become known as the administrative state, right? So, like, this is the idea that, um, let's say that the Congress passes a law that says we need to have, and this actually has happened, I think, with the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act, it's like Congress passes a law that says we need to fix something about the environment, okay? And they say we're going to, Rather than like define and statute how this happens, we're going to delegate that authority to an agency like the EPA to say how we achieve this goal. Right. Congress passes a law that says our goal is to do this, like this is our intent, um, but we're going to let this agency who has the relevant expertise time, et cetera, figure out how that happens. There's a, I think, pretty large contingent of the conservative legal movement that says, no, you can't do that. That's not constitutional. Congress has to say how we're going to fix the problem. Congress can't delegate their authority to somebody else. And that's the basis of really like a lot of lawsuits right. trying to trying to kind of some people would say take back that authority and put that authority back in the hands of Congress. Other people would say it's a it's a legal theory that was devised to try and make it as hard as possible for government to regulate various industries and businesses and trade groups, etc. You know, I don't know which one you want to think it is, but I think it's interesting that they specifically included in this language. They're not just talking about executive orders. They're not just talking about laws that they don't like. They're specifically including this language about the administrative state and its rules and regulations. Yeah. So. I get where they're coming from, I think. But the problem is that like, it is unreasonable, in my opinion, to expect Congress or any other legislative body to make the rules for every agency of the government, right? They can't be involved in the day-to-day function of all these agencies. It is not feasible. There's not enough hours in the day nor enough manpower to do that, which is why they created these agencies to run these things and the agencies need the flexibility to determine the rules and regulations for that. And they do submit them, at least at the state level. I don't for the federal level. They submit them for review at the federal for level. For administrative level. review, right? And so they've got to be approved by Congress or the state legislature at some point. So, Andy, here's here's all here's all I can say. You know, if the founding fathers had wanted Congress to be able to delegate authority for regulating nuclear power plants or solar energy or car emissions the internet. or the internet. 
if the founding fathers had wanted Congress to give away the authority to regulate all that stuff, they would have put that in the Constitution. Right. But they didn't. That's right. Ergo, <laughs> Congress can't do that. If if only if only Father Washington had known about AT and T and cell phones, this we wouldn't have this dilemma. You know, I mean, that's uh, you know, so that's that's. Uh, that's that's one thing um, that that happened this week. There were some other, so one one big uh, kerfuffle, if you will, in the ledge this week was that they had their final JCAB meeting, and there were a number of bills in the JCAB Joint Committee on Appropriation and Budget, appropriation and budget, meaning the spending of the money. money. Um, there were some bills that came up, uh, twelve thirty six being one of them. That according to members of both parties, both the both the Dems and the R's, didn't have a lot to do with either appropriations or budget. Twelve thirty six was one. What were? Do you know what the other ones were? I don't remember offhand. I don't remember either, um, to be honest. But if you scan through, uh, some of them have to do with like money, but not the budget, right? Like they're kind of ancillary budgetary things, like the the tax. Um, credits for school donations, like yeah. that's financial. So it goes through JCAB, I guess, but it also feasibly could have gone through education committee earlier in the session. Yeah, well, so that was the gripe. That was the gripe of of several, even committee chairs. I mean, Senator McCourtney brought this up. Um, one of the other Senate committee chairs brought this up that like these were bills that were never heard in the relevant committee, and they were put into JCAB as a way to get them through here at the very end. Um, well, but Scott, rules are made to be broken. I mean, it is, you know, the, the amount of time that they, uh, that they exempt themselves from, from the rules are, it's, it's just the mind, the mind boggles. Um, you know, there was uh, even a quote, if I can find it from, uh, if I can find it from Senator Treat, who essentially said like, hey, yeah, you know, we know that I can't, I can't find the actual quote, but he said, hey, I, I hear what you're saying, but like, these are things that we wanted to make priorities and we hadn't gotten it done yet and we had a vehicle to get it done. So, you know, if we could stick them in J-Cab and suspend the rules, that's what we're going to do. We did it because we could. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's, that's where it is. Uh, they did pass the budget. They passed the budget bills. Those have, been sent to, those have been sent to the governor's desk for signature. They do include a reduction in uh, all personal income tax brackets of 0.25%. And a reduction in the corporate income tax from six percent to four percent. There's no way that either of those are going to come back and bite us in the ass. Uh, that's never happened before. Interestingly, interestingly, um, the bills that uh, the bill that reduced the tax, the corporate tax cut, which was House Bill twenty nine sixty, um, three Republicans joined all nine Senate Democrats in voting that down or voting against that thirty four to twelve. So. Let it let the record show there was bipartisan opposition <laughs> to lowering the corporate tax rate, um, with twenty five percent of the opposition coming from members of the Republican caucus. Right, Be- because the the Republican Party is not a monolith, <laughs> and uh, even in Oklahoma, and because some of these dudes know that this is a bad idea. We have been here before. We have reaped, not the benefits, but the consequences of uh, premature tax cuts. Uh, and and you know, the business community has seen this come back to bite them in the ass too, right? The whole step up, step up plus, step up 2A, the Fast and Furious, 
you know, stepper upper and, and more like that, whatever that year was, 2017, 2018, the, the corporate community had to step up and pressure them to raise taxes. Right. Because they had to do it and they, I mean, they did it somewhat voluntarily, but also because it was the right thing and they didn't want it coming down on their necks that this was the wrong thing to do. And that's the case now. The legislators are like, we should cut corporate taxes and Oklahoma businesses are saying, hang on, don't because you're cutting taxes on corporations that are, and most of that money is going out of state, right? In some cases overseas for other corporations who pay Oklahoma income taxes because they earn money here. The Oklahoma companies, there's not that many that pay it. It's not that much money. And would they like to save money? Sure. But they know that if we cut it now, it will benefit out-of-state companies. And then when they have to increase it in a couple of years because we're broke, it's going to come back on our Oklahoma businesses. Yep. Senator Brent Howard, who's Republican from Altus, he said that he has not heard of any business asking for a tax cut. And that, like you just said, large out-of-state corporations are going to be the ones who benefit the most. This is a quote. He says, don't get me wrong. Just like the $2,400 stimulus checks, people aren't going to turn those down. They're going to take it. They're going to be happy about it, but this is not going to help the average Oklahoman. That's a quote from Senator Howard. Uh, Senator uh, Dave Rader from Tulsa says that this does not meet the three conservative standards that he was taught. Doesn't say who had taught him this, that he was taught make good tax policy. He says, quote, you know, we're all for tax reform, so let's do tax reform instead of doing this one-off that is not accessible to everybody that does pick the winner and it does hurt the state. It goes 0 for 3. So presumably, the kind of tax reform he would like uh, would be one accessible to everyone two does not pick winners and would help the state apparently those are the tenets of tax policy that uh senator Rader, senator Rader looks for uh senator thompson who is the chair of the approves committee in the senate he said that uh companies like amazon uh have several facilities here in oklahoma and they help the state and that a tax cut is going to bring more business from similar players. So, Andy, I sent you a link about 10 days ago that said Jeff Bezos, founder of uh, Amazon, is building a $500 million <laughs> mega yacht that will be the largest in the world. $500 million. Yeah. $500 million mega yacht will be the largest in the world. This boat is so big, it has another yacht that's it's like tender ship. Okay? Like, <laughs> like this yacht has another yacht to like take care of its shit. So, so that, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say that like giving Amazon a tax cut is exactly the same as giving Jeff Bezos a tax cut, but... I mean, I think Amazon's doing well, and and I I don't know. There was a big to-do recently about Tesla, whether Tesla was going to put a plant in Tulsa that ultimately went with Austin, Texas. I don't think the reason that Tesla went to Austin was because Oklahoma had a corporate tax of 6% and Texas was no. lower. No, because, in fact, most of these businesses haven't paid any income taxes anyway. Right. Uh, and, yeah, no, I don't know if we talked about this on the show or not, but there was an interview with um, Elon Musk who – in the interview, he basically said, I mean, I went to Tulsa as a courtesy, but like he had no intent of coming, of building the plant here, yeah, which we all suspected, right? Remember they painted that creepy ass looking mask yes. on the on the golden yes. driller? <laughs> he straight up said he was like, look, man, if it's Austin versus Tulsa, I can't sell Tulsa to my people. Right. Like he just, he just straight up said that. So, I mean, now I have spent a fair amount of time in both Tulsa and Austin and I want people to know 
I think that they are both delightful. So in Tulsans, very different ways. Yeah, in very different ways. So Tulsans, I'm I'm not shitting on your town. Um, I'm saying Elon Musk was shitting on your town. So <laughs> you should call him out on Twitter. It's not the same town, right? Right. I mean, it's like I like one scoop of ice cream, but a half gallon is a lot more ice cream, and that's the difference. I mean, I will also say I actually prefer the weather in Tulsa to Austin. Austin is Austin freaking hot, dude. It is hot and humid all the time. But Austin yeah. also has Franklin Barbecue. So, yeah, I went to high school in Austin. I'm familiar with the area. Learned how to drive there. Nice. So is that why you're a terrible driver? <laughs> it could be. <laughs> Not that bad. I'm quite defensive. <laughs> if you want to know more about the uh, corporate and personal income tax cuts, uh, Tulsa Public Radio has a nice piece by Matt Trotter. You can find that on the interwebs. Uh, what else happened this week? Oh, well, I was going to say, speaking of money, uh, there was this bill dealing with the disproportionately large tax benefit going to donations to schools, right? Yes, sir. So this was, which which bill was that? This, oh, this was SB 1080. So this is a, uh, a tax credit bill. So it's a $25 million tax credit to private schools and a $25 million tax credit to public schools. At face value, like, of course, why wouldn't you do that, right? Like, it's, ta- you know, it's fair is fair. Uh, Public and private, they each get half of this tax credit. The issue is that public schools have 694,000 students and private schools have 38,000 students. Mm -hmm. So when you do the math, that's about 18 times uh, the the amount of the the private schools are getting 18 times uh, the tax credit per pupil than the public schools. Um, and this is a huge increase, right? Because yeah, it pre- the, this previously was this previously this uh, tax credit was capped at five million. It's now capped at fifty million, <laughs> but divided between uh, between public and private schools. And I'm not, I'm I'm not a, I'm not an engineer. It's not math's not my strong suit. But last time I checked, eighteen is uh, is higher than than five. one. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, and you are quite correct. Um, so yeah, basically they said we're going to increase it by tenfold but we're gonna make it 50 50 uh, between two things that are not the same right it's not an equal not an equal proportion there and this uh, this basically allows donors to write off money on their taxes um, and it is like many tax credits going to disproportionately benefit the wealthy than the poor right um, or the unwealthy and, or non-wealthy. Well, it's gonna it's gonna benefit people who have the ability to give away money. Right. So if you have enough money that you can give some away, this is some this this is a bill that potentially could could help you. Right. Um, let me see here. I was just looking at this. What the income limits are? One hundred and forty-seven thousand for a family of four. No, that's what the that's what could be the benefit, right? That's the tax credit scholarship that's available for a family of four. Um, yeah, that's what their income level could be to receive the scholarship to a private school. Tax credit scholarships yes. are available to students who yes. earn up to 300% of the free and reduced yes. lunch price. Level. Yes, correct. I thought you were saying that that was that they could donate $147,000. If that's, if that's your situation, you are in the 1%. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're, this is of no consequence to your yes. your financial situation. So individual donors can write off up to $1,000 in tax credits. Married couples can write off up to $2,000 in tax credits. A legal business entity 
can receive up to $100,000 in tax credits. For So if a business donates, donates to this, they can get a $100,000 tax credit. If you and Katie do it, you can get a $2,000 tax credit. So but what again, if my LLC donates? I was going to say. So maybe if uh, maybe if you and Katie form Andy and Katie LLC, you can donate a hundred grand to take that on your taxes. Well, first of all, I don't have that kind of money to donate <laughs> in any form, but that's somewhat ridiculous, right? Like, here's the thing, okay? Let's fund public schools with public dollars. I mean, that seems reasonable to me. This is the way God intended education to work in America. It's the way we've been doing it for 200 and some odd years until the last couple of decades where people were like, hey, what if we start our own schools and then we get our buddies elected to the legislature and they route money to us and then we set up a for-profit business to manage that school and that business skims a percentage of the money off the top of those those dollars and no one ever knows. Are you... You're not talking about Epic. This is an Epic plan, I'm telling you. Like, it's just nuts. And this is the problem, is that I think, I haven't polled this or done a survey, but I suspect that most Americans, most Oklahomans, assume, right, just expect that we pay taxes to the government and the government gives money to public schools to ensure we have good schools for our kids. And that is not what happens. Yep. Yep. I mean, they do that. But not enough money, and they also give a disproportionate share of money to private schools that operate without the same oversight and without um, the same systemic uh, requirements and issues that some of the public schools have. Andy, I don't know what you're talking about. Three years ago, we made an we made an historic. <laughs> investment an historic investment in public education in the state we passed the largest tax increase in the history of oklahoma and nearly all of that money went to public education public public education takes up a larger share of the oklahoma state budget than any other single any other single issue how what are, what are you talking about that we don't put any money towards public education well that is not untrue we do spend a lot of our budget on public education. However, 20 years ago or 10 years ago, right, we put, let's say, $100 towards education, and then we cut it, and then we cut it some more, and then we cut it some more, and pretty soon we were only putting $60, only like 60% of the money towards education. But then we made a historic investment, investment, <laughs> and we now put $80, and that is good but it is not a hundred dollars. And I will also say this whole deal about like the largest percent percentages mean nothing, right? Like, well, there's lies, damned lies and statistics, right? 12, 12% or 50% or 25% or whatever, you know, 25% of a 10 inch pie is less than 25% of a 15 inch pie. Ooh, that would do right? radians. Yes, like that's... if you if you keep if you keep shrinking the budget by cutting taxes year over year over year over year, mm-hmm. then even if the proportion of money that goes to education stays the same or even goes up in absolute real dollars, which is all that matters, um you're going to you're going to see a decrease, right? Like Right. Right, this is where people that like, you know, People, you know, people say that that you know. Well, you know, the CEO of our company, 
I mean, his his or her salary is only it's 0.01% of our total revenue. Well, if your total revenue is $500 billion right. and your CEO is making 0.01% of $500 billion, that's still like a lot, a lot of, money. of money. The <laughs> fact that it's a tiny percentage is irrelevant. Right, right. And, and, and then and similarly, if you cut the budget of the state of Oklahoma by continually decreasing the revenue that flows into the treasury, if that percentage stays the same, the absolute dollar amount, which is, you can't spend percentages, right? You can only spend the dollars. Yeah. Ooh, if, that's a if, good line. Yeah. Right? Like if, if the actual dollars go down, then, then, it, then, it's, then it's still a problem. So the percentage, you always hear this line about, the percentage of the budget. I don't give a shit what the percentage of the budget is. I care how much money it is. Right. Um, and in inflation-adjusted dollars, that that number has continued to go down. It's like it's like they're saying, "Hey, we give half a Reese's to education," and it's like, "Do you mean a Reese's peanut butter cup or a Reese's pieces?" Because, because that the, is not the same. Those are not the same. That is not the same. And any child will tell you that half a Reese's pieces <laughs> is not equal to half a Reese's peanut butter cup. Oh, that was fun. And now I need snacks. That was fun. Uh, well, since we're talking about money still, let's just keep rolling with money. It's Let's that it. time of year. What it's, else? What it's, else? Um, I'm going to play some money music first. Um, the best things in life are free. Yes. But, but you, you can, can give it to the, to the birds, birds and bees. bees. All right. So let's, uh, as we go on with, with uh, money here, let's talk about Medicaid expansion and how we are funding that. Because it is being funded. Fully this it's year. It's true. With, oh, no, not with state dollars. The state's not actually funding this. We are using other federal money that was designed for this purpose. It's as if the federal government doesn't believe the states are going to do this. And so they said, you know what? Times are tough. A lot of folks have lost jobs and may have enrolled in Medicaid in your state. Let's give you some additional stimulus money. And so the state says, okay, federal government, whose money we didn't want for Medicaid we will now take your extra money and put it towards Medicaid. Yep, yep. So the for the last 10 years or so, the federal government has been saying, we will give you $9 out of 10 to it, pay for Medicaid. It started at 10 out of 10. Yes, it's like it's, right. it's It started, we'll pay for all of it. Right. And eventually, and we it'll said start no. going down every year, and eventually it'll cap out where we only give you 9 90 cents on the dollar right. to pay for it. Right. But we decided we didn't want 100 cents on the dollar, and so we waited until 90 cents on the dollar. That's right. That's right. They said, we'll pay for all of it. And we said, no. And they said, we'll pay for all of it. And we said, no. Then they said, okay, we're going to pay for 90% of it. And we said, no. And then they came back and said, we'll pay for all of it. And we said, okay. Only because the voters of Oklahoma said, only because uh, uh, you know what? Our legislator has been saying for 10 years that we're not going to do this. And we would like you to go ahead and do this now, please. This is a veto referendum, or not a veto referendum, a, a constitutional question that passed uh, last summer. Yeah. June of 2020. Yes. Yeah. No, um, yes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, because I was watching the returns come in sitting at this very table and we were blogging about it. Um, well, yes, we did a live <laughs> blog that night. Yeah. Um, um, so Medicaid expansion is going to happen. Um, there was some, there was, was, was some work on Medicaid expansion that happened this week. Um, so as we have talked about at length on the show, and we're going to continue to talk about it, talk about at length, um, the governor had announced a plan to um, transition sooner care to managed care. Um, and he wanted to do that by contracting with private for-profit companies um, to to provide healthcare benefits to sooner care recipients here in Oklahoma. Um, several people 
mostly people that take care of sooner care patients were like, that's a terrible idea. Um, the governor said, uh, no, in his, um, I, you know, I'm sure governor state has a lot of experience with sooner care and he, he felt like that, uh, that, that he was in the right and that managed care was the way to go. My voice is dripping with sarcasm. Um, <laughs> I was like, no, he doesn't. No, I, I think it's important also to to just acknowledge what you said is correct, that he proposed managed care, which we have through the healthcare authority, but he wanted third-party, out-of-state companies to be in charge of it. So basically, yeah. the money that the healthcare authority, we keep it, keep it in the family, that they're the ones that take care of it um, at a much lower cost to the state, he thought, no, no, let's let someone else make a profit on this, an outside company, and privatize it. Yeah. Someone yeah. who has a oh, a profit-driven incentive to find fraud. Fact. Yes. So um, that was his proposal. Um, some folks in the legislature said, hey, not so fast. Not sure you can do that. Um, there was a bill that was uh, run by Representative Marcus McIntyre, friend of the show, uh, Republican of Duncan. Uh, this is a bill that would have kept managed care. It would have kept it in place within the healthcare authority. So it would have it would have changed how the healthcare authority administers benefits by by changing it to a true managed care system but keeping it all in house. Um, that was a non-starter in the Senate um, for a number of reasons. Um, however, the Senate came up with a bill. Uh, that passed this week. This is Senate Bill 131. Um, it is essentially endorsing. It is endorsing the managed care framework set up by the governor, but it takes the contents of the contracts that were signed between the healthcare authority and these these out of state companies and enshrines those into state law. Um, so essentially, the the argument is that okay, well now. Now, if these countries break, if these countries, if these companies break their contracts, their managed care contracts, they will not only be in breach of contract, they'll be violating state law in Oklahoma. So the thought process is that this puts some extra teeth onto those contracts. It also um, allows the legislature to step in and and apparently provide some oversight of these companies if they think, think that things are not going well. Um I have nothing but faith in the Oklahoma legislature's ability to provide um, oversight, but that's neither here nor there. Um, you know, Senator uh, Senator Treat, uh, pro tem Treat, said that uh, said that this bill uh, one thirty one. Uh, this is a good compromise because it left people on both sides of the managed care debate dissatisfied. So no <laughs> one's no one's no one's happy. So it must be. It must be. It must. It must have gone great. It must be good. Everything sucks. I guess we're doing what we're supposed to do. Can you? Can I, I mean, <laughs> that's. I mean, if that doesn't uh, describe like, can you? What if your patient satisfaction surveys came back and everyone's like, "This guy's the worst. I hate him." Great doctor, right? Like that's not how it works. I almost said something else, and then I decided to keep it PG. Well, thirteen. Because I've already said shit a couple of times. We've, so, we've, we've already cursed several times. <laughs> Sorry, parents. <laughs> but uh, yeah, apparently, apparently, if apparently if at apparently if at the end no one is satisfied, apparently a good time was had by all. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> imagine where you're going with that. <laughs> so that's that's Senate Bill 131 um, that uh, passed the Senate with a veto-proof majority. It will go to the House, where it presumably will pass as well for with a veto-proof majority, and go to the governor for signature. Um, the governor had no comment on the bill when asked about it by the good folks from the Oklahoman this week. So. 
that's uh, managed care where we're at as of now. Yeah. So, uh, Scott, let's kind of pivot a little bit and talk about next year. And and with the backdrop of all of these bills and what we think is going to happen, um, so I I dare say it's not too early to begin discussing the election twenty twenty two because a number of these folks are up for their final term. Right? Just got chest pain, <laughs> and so they have they have done a lot of these things. Like a lot of these bills are just to be used in campaign mailers next year, right? Or as talking points. And the bills will actually have no functional impact on how governance occurs in our state, right? Like it, I don't think it'll actually change. Like even bills like house bill 1236 about challenging federal things. I don't know that that'll actually ever happen. Right. No. Um, and Lord willing, we won't have to deal with, uh, you know, people driving into a crowd, and those kind of anti-protest bills we've discussed ad nauseum on the show. But looking ahead so that it's next spring after session and these guys are in full-on campaign mode, right? So looking at the, I guess, the June primary next year, right? Yeah. They will, they will next year will be additive. They will have a number of other bills that compound the effects here because they want to run for re-election. Do we think that, let's take the, the income tax cuts, the corporate and the individual income tax cuts, right? Does that help? And if so, how anyone's chances of reelection based on their position? So you can feel free to answer this for Republicans or Democrats. I mean, I think it depends. I think it depends on what happens with the budget next year. If there's, you know. Between now and then? Yeah, because right, like if there's, so right now there are concerns about the economy. There's concerns about inflation. What the what the uh, stimulus or the the infrastructure plan that the White House is talking about, like what that's going to mean for the economy, you know what you know is there a fall surge? I mean, there's so many there's so many unknowns, right? So like let's say that like uh, we do see a spike in inflation. Let's see that the economy slows down. Let's say that the Fed is forced to raise interest rates to deal with that, and that we're not looking at a robust economy next year and budget projections are that we're going to have a billion dollar budget shortfall, right? So they're going to be faced with cutting a billion dollars from the budget or raising taxes, right? So I think in that scenario, this income tax cut doesn't, doesn't look great at all, right? Let's say though that the economy is like cooking with gas. Everything is great. Like maybe the budget numbers are flat, um, then we can say, see, no problem. We cut corporate taxes. We cut the income tax by a quarter percent. Everything's fine. Uh, let's, 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 let's do it again. Interesting. I, I want to push back on a couple of things. We don't, I don't know if you're wrong or not, but, um, the, I think the double-edged sword about tax cuts like this is that when they cut taxes, they champion them and like, listen, we put money in your pockets and people like that. Right now, if in a year they come back and they're like, whoop, we cut too much. Well, they, first of all, they won't say that. They'll just be like, well, the economy's down and Biden's not doing enough to stimulate it. His socialist policies are ruining the economy. And because of him, we have to cut spending now, right? And that also feeds into, I think, the narrative that a lot of taxpayers think about of like government's too big and we should cut it, right? So they like tax cuts and they like cutting government. Um, and But you, you can't cut your way to prosperity. We've demonstrated that and so i think in the short run for next year they're probably off the hook also i don't 
we should have Paul Shin back on the show now that the budget's been signed to talk about what the outlook is for next year. But I would almost imagine that the real fallout won't happen for two or three years, at which point hey, all these guys are terming out, right? Like it'll be somebody else's problem by then. I'm going to push back on your pushback. <laughs> I, I think, I think, I think what you're what you're saying makes a lot of sense, and it is probably correct that to the extent that there's going to be fallout, it probably won't be next year. I'll say that that's, I'll, I'll agree with that. I think the thing that I would say I don't necessarily agree with. I think that people like cutting government spending, in theory, right. But at a certain point, those spending cuts start to impact them people don't like cutting government spending at all when it means that their kids can't go to school because there's a teacher walkout they don't like cutting government spending at all when the power grid fails they don't like cutting government spending when the things that they expect government to take care of aren't being done so i agree with you that like everybody loves the idea of a tax cut and i think as a general proposition like well is the government too big well sure it is okay well what do you want to cut? Well, I mean, probably not education because my kid's class already has 35 people with one teacher and no aid. I mean, probably not roads and bridges because I get nervous every time on that, that bridge I take on the work, on the way to work every day, you know, and probably not, you know, probably not from, I don't know, prisons, you know, I mean, right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, probably not, probably not from those things. So, so yeah, I think, I think that, Cutting spending is popular until you ask people where it should come from, and then it doesn't. Then it's not popular at all. Right. So if that, so I think if that is a, if that, here's what I would say. I don't know if that's a debate that we're going to have next year or not. But if that is a debate that we're having next year, then it's a debate that I think. I mean, I don't know that it's going to like change the makeup of the legislature, but I think it's a debate that, to the extent it influences the election, it will not be a debate that that pulls the needle and moves the needle in favor of the folks who voted for the tax cuts. Sure. You know, I'm really interested to talk to like Paul Shin and, yeah. and Carly Putnam and stuff about the budget outlook in particular about Medicaid expansion because they, you know, because they use the federal money for that this year. And the phrase that I have not heard this year is one-time funds. Yep. But we hear that almost every year in the budget of yep. like, this budget does rely on one-time funds to yep. get us there. Or this budget doesn't rely on one-time funds. Yep. Well, this one definitely does because, yep. Lord willing, this these are one-time federal funds to help get things going, right? And also, it already drives me nuts, hurts my brain and my heart to hear them say like, you know, we want small government. We want the federal government out of here. We don't want them passing things. We can tell them when it's unconstitutional. But yeah, also, I'd like that stimulus money that you're handing out, right? Oh, like, <laughs> for sure. And it's like, I mean, this is, I mean, this is all the time. There's been, you know, if you, if you're, if you're on progressive Twitter at all, which I guess is most of Twitter, <laughs> um, then like, you'll see that there's a, there's all these folks that voted against the American Rescue Plan. Uh, and decried it as socialism, but they're present at all these ribbon cuttings in their districts talking about how great it is that their state's getting this money that they voted against. Um, so, I mean, that's, I hear you, but I guess I'm just too much of a cynic because that's, I mean, that's just, that's just how it goes, right? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, government is nothing if not hypocritical of itself. 
I mean, I mean, you know, one one other thing that I I wanted to just briefly touch on touch on this week, uh, and we won't we won't spend too much time here, but uh, you know, have you? Ha- has anybody out there tried to renew their driver's license recently? <laughs> because if you have, you have likely found that it is uh, that it is it is is quite difficult, um, and and it's tough to get an appointment at a tag agency. And apparently, there are some tag agents that are actually uh, being required to to pay a fee, like a deposit, to hold an appointment to try and get their get their driver's license. Well. Representative Del Curbs, Republican of Shawnee, he is pissed about this and he's not going to take it anymore. Um, he put out a I'm press. Mad re- as hell. He put out a press release this week uh, saying that he has heard from numerous Oklahomans that they are that are being required to pay twenty bucks to confirm an appointment at their tag agency. Um, that if they if they don't get their appointment, they're not able to uh, they're not able to get this money refunded. And uh, and essentially, we can we can drop the press release in the show notes. But Representative Curbs is asking that if you are an Oklahoman who uh, who has been uh, charged a fee for an appointment to get a driver's license or otherwise has gone through this process with a tag agency and and really come out the other side feeling like uh, it 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 could have gone a lot better for you, he would like you to email him. At uh, his his address is Dell dot Curbs K E R B S at okhouse.gov. And yeah, we can drop this in the show notes. And uh, if you if you're pissed about a situation with a tag agent, email Representative Curbs. Yeah, it's a tough deal, and I know the state is working on this. Um, you know, I think I think COVID has highlighted some of the weak points in our government infrastructure. Uh, you think? I don't <laughs> I don't mean like roads and bridges, but I mean like the the computer systems we use. So early on, right, we had the complete kind of collapse of the Oklahoma Employment Security Commission OESC's unemployment computer system. Their mainframe which was built by Fred Flintstone and Barney Rubble, I believe, like it's very old. It is like DOS-based and it is was not up to the task of what they were dealing with anyway. And then suddenly they had tens of thousands of people that needed to file all at the same time on an ongoing basis. And it just crapped out on them. Right. So they got a handle on that. I think for the most part got over the hump at least. And I, and I think they had some support from again, those federal stimulus dollars. Right. And uh, from last year. And then once that kind of, ebbed or flowed whichever whichever ways wax wane be a flow i think right i would think so ebb is up flow is down yeah and then wax and wane wane is the closing piece right so it it flowed and waned and then they moved on to this vaccine rollout which was also a bit of a debacle where you had individual county health departments propping up their own sign up genius websites trying trying signing up on facebook to get your covid vaccine that's right yeah and so the state finally got a hold of that and kind of got on there. And now, listeners, you can get your vaccine literally anywhere. I went into Walmart the other night, big sign up front, walk-ins welcome, come on in, get your shot today. So if you haven't got it, please do. Uh, so they kind of, I think, finally got that whipped and got over the vaccine piece. And now, kapow, now there's this backlog on driver's licenses, not even real ID. I mean, that's yeah. backlog too. That has been for years. But just to just a standard renewal um, and the issue of fees too, right? Yeah. So that like a lot of the tag agencies are charging fees and you got to 
you got to pay the fee to make the appointment and then they cancel on you. There's no refund and you're out money. And I had a friend who scheduled six appointments um, to get her driver's license renewed. And each one was canceled uh, two to three hours after she made the appointment. So she had to make another appointment. And, and they each, took a fee each time? $3.75 each time. And so she's out. I mean, and so little... they canceled the appointment? Yeah. So you pay a fee and then they cancel the appointment and then you're out the money? Yes. Oh, that's some bullshit. Yeah. And so, I mean, total, it was like 22 bucks. And that's she's like 22 American dollars. I could have, could have gone to Sonic. Right. <laughs> Got one. Yeah. And well, and more importantly, so this person is a nurse and his, so she makes an appointment and then like has to talk to her boss and get her shifts covered and switch things around. And then three hours later it changes. And so she goes back to her boss and is like, sorry, they canceled. It's now on this date this time. So she gets things covered. And then three hours later they cancel it. And so both her and her boss are, I mean, her boss is like, what are you doing? And I mean, she hasn't been leaving, but like this is an inconvenience of, of large proportions. Uh, yeah. She needs to email representative Del Krebs. <laughs> I will, I will tell her that I did. Um, she asked who she could reach out to, and I told her a few people. Um, but I think that's an important place to start. All right. Anything else that we have not addressed this week, Dr. Melson? I uh, I think that's – I think that's – I mean, there's probably more that happened, but that's probably a good start. I think it's probably it too. Well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and wrap up then. Uh, I will acknowledge as we close out the show that – Congresswoman Stephanie Bice broke with her party and voted in support of forming a independent commission to investigate the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Uh, and that took some guts, right? And she will catch flack, has already caught flack for it. Um, and uh, it was the right thing to do, right? We've had commissions for other attacks somewhat similar, 9-11 being perhaps most notable, right? These kinds of things. It, uh, Benghazi, right? Like... If you're going to investigate Benghazi, you better investigate the Capitol. A dozen Benghazi investigations? Why haven't they talked about Benghazi as a comparison to this? I'm surprised. Because Democrats are bad at messaging. (laughs) Fair enough. All right. Well, uh, on that note, listeners, thank you for joining us, Scott. Thanks for uh, inviting me into your home for us to record this. Man, it feels feels good to do this face-to-face. This week's pod dog is juno who is on the couch thanks <laughs> thanks for being here juno listeners thank you for being here next week will be the official end of the legislative session we'll have a complete wrap up uh, on anything that we didn't talk about today where things landed and maybe even a count on how many bills are still dangling out there for the governor to act uh, as we move into the summer we will you know start talking about uh some other issues we'll take deeper dives into some of the things that came up this session and we will yes begin looking towards election 2022 because it will be a statewide gubernatorial election as well as all of the other six statewide elected offices the entire state legislature and half of the senate also don't forget this fall is redistricting yet again when they draw the congressional map it's a big time see you then